I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, welcome along. It's Writer's Routine. Now taking us through her working day this week is Callie Taylor. She's just published her sixth book. It's called Sleep. She's a Sunday Times bestseller, writing both psychological thrillers, crimes, YA novels as well. Uh, she's even won the Most Unreliable Narrator Award. I love that that exists. I'm a huge fan of that. So we'll talk about exactly what it is in a little bit. Also, you can find out why it's okay to be lazy in your first draft, as long as you're a bit more rigorous in your edit. And she's been published as an author for around about 10 years now. So we talk about how her writing routine has changed during that time. Yeah, it was different. The first four books that I wrote, I had a day job. I had a day job. I was single. I lived in a one bedroom flat. So I would, you know, come home from work and work in the evenings and I'd, and I'd work in the weekends, you know, not go out, not see my friends because I wanted to write this book. Um, so, yeah, it, it couldn't be more different now. And then I could you know use my night owl tendencies and on the weekends i might often start at like eight o'clock at night and write till three or four in the morning so stick around that's all on the way in this week's writer's routine yes hello hope you're good my name's dan simpson this is the show where we take a sneak peek inside the working day of a successful author to see how they get ideas then put them down onto paper and finally fingers crossed get them published as well very quickly before we start, thank you to Nick Vista and Mrs. Cass and uh, Sophie Bournemouth and loads of others who have really helped us out and left us a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts recently. Uh, if you're enjoying what we do and if you want to say thanks to us for doing it, um, I know that's a strange way to ask, but that's pretty much what it is. The best way that you can do that is to head over to Apple Podcasts and just write a few nice things. Find writer's routine drop five stars it's really that easy takes barely a minute of your day and i'd love to see your name there now this week uh, cl taylor is on or callie taylor uh, she's on the show she's one of those authors who is just phenomenally big on twitter you can't really move in the writing community for hearing wild devoted praise from other authors to her and her readers love her as well. She's constantly critically and commercially acclaimed. Uh, she's mostly a psychological thriller writer, although she has dabbled across YA as well. So you can hear how her writing differs between the genres that she writes through. Uh, also, we talk about the busiest year of her life when she went back to work, looking after a newborn and writing a novel. Uh, we'll get some of your writing tips as well. So stick around for that. First, let's dive into it with Callie, starting with what she sees around her in the place where she sits down to write. 
At home, I normally write at my writing desk in my study. Um, and in front of me, there's a laptop raised up on a stand because, you know, bad back. Well, I haven't got a bad back, but I don't want one. And then um, behind that, there's a shelf. I listen to uh, soundtracks, film soundtracks when I write. So I have sort of my favorite soundtracks there that I can see. Above the shelf, there is um, my framed Sunday Times uh, bestseller lists cut out of the newspaper. So I've four of those um and I have them there with room for more yes yeah well I might have to get a bigger shelf but <laughs> it's nice to have that there to kind of you know see what I've accomplished there's a little tiny statue of uh, Shakespeare that I bought from a writing retreat in Stratford-upon-Avon and then there's my award for most unreliable narrator from Dead Good Book Awards and then above um, on the wall, I've got lots of different photos. I love kind of seascape paintings. I've got one of my son swimming underwater naked, which he gets very embarrassed about when his friends come round. He's like, that's just some, some boy called Alex that, that my mum bought a photo of. And I'm like, no, it's because you can see his bum. So he gets very embarrassed. If I'm actually working on a book, then I might have other stuff stuck up so um like photos of of what i think my characters might look like some people find this a bit weird but when i come up with my characters names i will often go on facebook type in the name and then see who comes up in the search results i'll scroll through the search results until i see somebody who i think looks like them there i don't know if i should be admitting this then i'll go on their page and if they've got lots of photos i'll print out some photos and i'll stick them on my wall it's a bit catfishy. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not actually pretending to be them or or getting anything out of them. I'm just using images. A lot of authors use uh, famous people, but I think I find that I, that doesn't work for me. You need them personalityless. They need yes. So I just have the image, and then I just transpose the personality onto the top. And has that always so, been? Is that always been the case for you? No, um, I think when I first started, because I started off writing rom coms. And I used famous people, or, or not that famous, but you know, they were actors and I had their photos up on the wall. Um, I had like Bob Hoskins as, you know, St. Peter. It was a supernatural rom-com. Uh, but I've stopped doing that because you, you sort of take on their traits that you're aware of. So this way, doing it with completely unknown people, then they are, they can become your characters. And you've said you've got the, the laptop stood up to yeah. help your back. What are you writing with on there? Uh, I have a separate keyboard. I have a Bluetooth keyboard, which um, I crowdfunded. It's uh, like a old typewriter. So the keys clack. Right. So it's proper tick, 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 like that when you type. And it's just lovely. It just makes typing more of a pleasure you know, instead of just a normal Bluetooth, it's like typing on a typewriter. So your readers have invested money in the way that the stories <laughs> they read are, are written. Yeah, I guess. I uh, guess they helped. They helped pay for that. That's so. quite an incredible idea. Yeah. Um, do you have any books around the walls? Yeah, I've got loads of books everywhere. Um, I don't actually have enough shelves, so everything is double stacked, uh, piled up. Um, I have so I have all of the the books that I've written. I've got the two rom coms. I've got the six psych thrillers I've got the one young adult book all sort of 
in a, in a display so I can just see it at a glance. And then I've got all of the foreign editions, like sometimes more than one copy. They all like take up shelf after shelf after shelf. We're, we're kind of getting into your working day now. Um, yeah. But take me through yours, your, your writing day. The moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed on a day when you are getting your story down, how does it go for you? Okay, so this will be the truthful version because obviously there's the kind of made-up version in my head how I would like to be, but that doesn't work. So I have a seven-year-old son. So typically my day starts at seven o'clock when he comes and wakes me up, do the breakfast, do the school run. So I've dropped him off by about uh, by about nine o'clock. I've kind of left the school and I'm walking home. Um, if it's on a Wednesday or a Friday, I'll have the dog with me. And so then I'll do uh, a dog walk. The other days of the week, the dog goes to a dog walker who takes her to a field just to give me like longer to write because walking the dog takes an hour out of the day. And basically, I have between nine and three because I have to pick my son up from school at 3.15. So my day is all constrained into that time. So I'll come back from the dog walk at maybe 10 o'clock and then I can't just sit down and start writing then. I need to watch a bit of telly and unwind because I'm a complete introvert and my partner and my son are extroverts and they're very noisy extroverts. So, you know, after the morning routine and everything, even the dog's an extrovert, um, I just need to just chill for a bit. So I just watch something on telly that I've recorded, whatever, have about an hour, have my breakfast, late breakfast. And then I'm like, right, okay, 11 o'clock, ready to go. So 11 o'clock, I will go to my desk I'll answer any emails that there are or any um, social media stuff. Although, actually, I do a bit of social media stuff while my son's getting ready for school. Um, And then I'll kind of, I'll pretty much write from 11 until 3. I'll normally quickly grab lunch and eat it at my desk. So I'll write in about a three or four hour window and then I'll go and pick my son up and then then I have to make him tea, then my partner comes home and then do the bedtime routine. If I am, if I have a deadline, then I will do more work once my partner comes home and I will sort of work then. Are you completely parking the story in your head at that time? Are you one of these authors that can switch switch it off completely when you when you are dropping your son at school, when you're making dinner, when you're eating with your partner? Are you one of these authors that can stop the ideas coming no it's hard because actually naturally my ideal time to write is between about half past two and eight o'clock at night so at the moment like my my partner's had a little bit of a work break so he's been doing all of the school runs and stuff and I've been sort of settling down at at one after lunch to work and then he'll do the school and everything and, and he'll make the dinner and I will literally work from one till dinner time half six and that's that's how my natural rhythm is to work. Um, but if I'm interrupted, so I'll often be like, right, I'm into it, I'm into it. And then it'll be like three o'clock, I've got to go. And so I'll be walking to the school to do the school run. And my head will be, you know, what happens next? What happens when? But then as soon as I see, see my son, then I go into mum mode and writer mode just goes out the window. And then sort of writer mode, sort of I dip in and out depending on how quiet it is. I can't... I can't think about my book if people are asking me for, you know, glasses of water or what's for dinner or, you know, even if the dog's being a bit hyper and wanting attention, I can't, it has to be in like a quiet time. So it'll probably be, you know, if they go to bed before, well, obviously my son goes to to bed before me, but if my partner goes to bed before me, then I'll be watching a film and then my mind will go back to the book 
you know, or whatever. So let me take you to those four solid hours of writing, yeah. you say, per, per day, 11 till yeah. 3. Um, how do they work? Um, how do you write in bursts? How are you organising your time? How many words are you getting done? Talk me through those four hours if you can. I, I set myself word limits. So, for example, so next year I need to write my next psych thriller um, and it needs to be delivered in mid-June, beginning of June maybe. So my plan is January I will be plotting. So I'm going to have a big whiteboard, going to, you know, portion it off into, into four acts and make that into eight scenes and I'll, you know, plot it all out and everything. And once I'm ready with that and my, you know, some sort of pivotal scenes and chapters and characters and stuff, I will I will work out, okay, Monday to Friday uh, between beginning of February to beginning of June, average first draft, maybe 90,000 words, divide that by the number of days. And so I'll go, okay, I need to write, let's call it 1500 words a day. So that is what motivates me. So when I sit down, I'm like, I need to write 1500 words. So, and I will sit there until that is done. So whether that's done in bursts or, oh, I'm just gonna check Twitter, you know, cause I'm just, you're kind of having a thinking time, but you're sort of just easily distracted. And then I'll go back to it and go back to it. And I will try and hit that word count. If I miss a day because I've got to do some promotion or something, then I recalculate how many days I've got left and how many words that I need. So I've never missed a deadline yet. I'm quite um, organised like that. Say it is 1,500 words. Is yeah. it any 1,500 words? Is it your best 1,500 words? Um, it's, it's, it's somewhere in between, I think. I'm, I'm not... I, I think if you get too caught up in the right words you will write at a snail's pace and you will never move forward so I try and you know I, I can't completely switch off some writers can just completely switch off and just go dialogue 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 and they miss out the description because you know it's faster to write that way and then they put the description in later I will write dialogue and description and you know everything that that is needed in the scene but later on in the process I'll come back to it again and I'll rewrite you know maybe during the line edit stage I'll read through what I've got I'll read it aloud then I'll tweak the language and the prose and so yeah I, I try and I try and make it you know decent but without you know spending hours I think when you're writing a first draft it's quite easy to be lazy so you'll often use the same words a lot. So I might have quite a lot of glancing, he glances, she glances, you know. And actually, you can look on it later and go, we, you don't need all that glancing. You can just have them just talking to that character or, you know, just. I use just quite a lot. And I have to go through and take out all of the justs and stuff. But, you know, when I'm when I'm at first first draft stage I'm not I'm not thinking about my little peculiar ticks and stuff I will sort that out later but. and is there any aside from the the film soundtracks that you like mm. to write to is there anything else that helps the ideas come out is there anything that you any little intricacies maybe that, that help you on your working day a particular type of coffee something uh, like that <laughs> well I've kind of got into a bit of a, of a habit of burning a candle I've got these neum energizing candles and I don't know if it's just, you know, um, placebo effect. So the, 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 the burning, the smoke is meant to re-energise you? It's, it's the, that's the whole scent thing, like the aromatherapy 
thing. So right. I think it's got lemon in it or something. Okay. And actually, that does help. I've got a friend, I did a psychology degree, who did um, his dissertation on smells and memory recall or mm-hmm. something. I can't remember. Well, I think they're right next but, to each other in the brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the parts. Yeah, I, remember, so, I remember that. So, okay. I, so sometimes I... I burn this candle and it's, I don't know, maybe it sharpens my brain up a bit. I don't know. I also can't have cold feet. So I must always have slippers or, you know, I had some ski socks for a long time and I had no slippers and I would just wear my ski socks to make sure that my feet were warm. Um, what else? Yeah, the, the definitely the music. I And if the music is not working, then I have to swap the music. There is, I love the soundtrack to In Time which is a sci-fi film. Justin Timberlake. With Justin Timberlake. And I don't write sci-fi, but there's something about the urgency in that film, because obviously they had like the clocks counting down and stuff, that when I'm writing, you know, writing a psych thriller, there are those scenes where it's like, you know, and you just need that kind of building you up. But then equally recently, I've been writing my second YA thriller and there was a kind of romantic moment between um, two of the teens um and so i played something different something with like a more mellow but again it was classical music uh, instrumental can't have any lyrics but it's the mood the mood has to be right for the piece of writing and if it's and if i'm going slowly it's probably because the piece of writing's not the piece of music's not right and then do you use the piece of music to then change how you're writing if you think right you know what i'm getting nowhere near my 1500s i need to speed this up yeah, I have I have done that. I've done that. If I thought, oh gosh, this is going a bit slowly, I was like, right. And it's always in time that I come back to. I try and have a different soundtrack for each book. So the one I'm writing now, the the young adult thriller, it's um, I've been using Let Me In, the vampire film, um, and and that's been great. But there were times when I was like, I need to ramp it up. So I go back to In Time and play that again. And I I don't know, maybe it's just got like some sort of Pavlov dog response in my brain where it's like, this music makes you write fast. Do you remember the the first novel that you wrote that was published? Yeah, that was a romantic comedy called Heaven Can Wait. Well, let's just, I don't want to spend too much more time on this, but how was your writing day working on that story? How, how, How much different was it to to how you work today? Yeah, it was different. The first four books that I wrote, I had a day job. So when I wrote Heaven Can Wait, which was published in 2009, so I've nearly been a published author for nearly 10 years now, I had a day job, I was single, I lived in a one-bedroom flat. So I would, you know, come home from work and work in the evenings and I'd, and I'd work in the weekends, you know, not go out, not see my friends because I wanted to write this book. Um, so yeah, it, it couldn't be more different now. And then I could you know, use my night owl tendencies. And on the weekend, I might often start at like eight o'clock at night and write till three or four in the morning. And I do that sometimes when I go to writing retreats, I'll have dinner and then I'll sort of write until the early hours. And I love the stillness. I love it when it gets dark. At the moment is my favorite time of year to write because as soon as it gets dark in my study, like half past four, I feel like I can concentrate better. You know, it's just... I don't know I like it to be really dark <laughs> talk to me about that moment then that tipping point if you yeah. said for the first five or so novels you were working and writing yeah. when you've you know w- when you've become successful enough to do this as a full-time day job how was that suddenly five days a week whatever you want <laughs> uh, how did you at all formulate um your, your your schedule to kind of make that work that would I wouldn't know where to start yeah well so so the first the, the the first two rom-coms I had a day job and then when I was on maternity leave with my son 
is when I wrote The Accident, which was my first psych thriller. So, yes, I wasn't at work, at work, but, you know, anybody who's had maternity leave knows it's actually harder than being at work. Um, So I wrote that. And then when I returned from maternity leave, I started working four days a week in my job and I'd look after my son on, on the fifth day and obviously the weekend and stuff. And I wrote The Lie. That year was the hardest year of my life to try and fit things in. And you were contracted in to write the lie? So you had to get it down? Yeah, I had had a two-book deal, so I had to write the lie. And it was so hard, but I was lucky that because the accident and the lie sold so well, the lie in particular did very, very well. It sold like a third of a million e-books. So then I got offered a contract for three books... And I said to them, you know, or I said to my agent, I really need this to be enough money to give up the day job. Otherwise, I'm going to go insane. I can't balance motherhood and a day job and writing. Um, you know, otherwise, you know, I you know, I don't know if I can do this sort of thing. But fortunately, Avon gave me enough money. It wasn't as much as I earned as an office manager in, in London at a university, but it was enough that I could give up the day job and it felt risky you know my partner said oh are you sure about this what if they don't sell and I was like then I'll go back to work so yes so then I had um, supportive there yes (laughs) yeah nice optimistic partner um and yeah so then I, I went from desperately trying to just fit it in writing when I could to dropping my son off at nursery and going oh you know I had longer days then as well he was at nursery Monday to Thursday nine no eight till five so I had ages and I'm sure I wasted loads of time then but it was just it, I've just felt like I could breathe mm. you know what I mean and, and and other stuff housework and all that kind of stuff I could actually get it done instead of just having the messiest house in the world and it was and it was great but in some ways when you're when you have that tiny snatch of time you know after work when before you go to bed you properly focus on that and you're not nearly so distracted when you've got the whole day you're like oh maybe i'll just go on twitter for five minutes ten minutes half an hour an hour you know what was i doing on the internet you have to that's why i think that i do the word count thing because without that i don't have any kind of discipline to to my day or any sort of i need that kind of whip crack sort of in my head so i you know, because I, th- I thought I would spend my day at the cinema or going to the museum, refilling my creative well, you know, as they call it. Um, yeah, I haven't done that once. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. 
like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We'll get more with Callie in just a sec. Uh, First, let's get some of your writing tips on the show. Remember, if you've got a little bit of advice that you want to share, maybe something that's helped out your writing day, if you've got a trick that's let you get your words onto the page easier, I'd love to know what it is, then I can share it on this show. Tell me about it over on the contact page at writersroutine.com. This is from uh, Tom. Uh, Tom in San Francisco. You know, very quickly, it will never cease to amaze me, Tom, that you're listening way over there on the other side of the world, on the glorious golden beaches and the bays of San Francisco, whilst I am in London, where it actually hailed today, and I saw a lightning strike in April. So there we go. Slightly different places there, Tom. Uh, Anyway, he says, the joy of writing is that you can fit it around your day and the weather. Yeah, fitting what I was saying earlier. Tom says, if it's sunny, then get outside. If it's cold, lock yourself away in the warmth. Even go back to bed. Make the most of your surroundings. You've not got a regular job uh, and relish that. Cheers, Tom. Really good advice, but I think easier for you to make the most of the weather, as I say, when you're on the golden glistening beaches of California. Karen in Exeter says, a little bit closer to time, but still impressed that you're listening over in Devon, Karen. Uh, You say that you're a night owl. So when the world has gone to bed and everyone is silent, that's the best time to make the most of your ideas. And finally, uh, Mel in Cardiff. Cold showers. She says, break up your writing day with one. Let the freeze spark your story. Uh, there's a big hype around cold showers at the moment. Have you seen this? It's the the Wim, the Wim Hof craze. Uh, I've heard it on the radio. It's been all over podcasts recently as well. It's all about how by training to breathe and having cold showers, you can kind of fix your immune system. Honestly, look up Wim Hof if you've not already. Incredible. Um, stories that this guy's got to tell uh, but I- I'm no expert so you have to do the research yourself anyway Mel thank you so much yes cold at- cold showers can be very revitalising for your ideas probably make the most of that uh, thanks for your tips by the way uh, you can send yours over to me at writersroutine.com uh, and now let's get one on from a friend of the show who wants you to relax hi my name's Sarah Pimbra my novel Cross Her Heart is out now and my writing tip is Don't take it too seriously. If you get it wrong, no one's going to die. It's not brain surgery. Just write. There you go. Thank you so much to Sarah Pinbra. You can catch up with all of the tips in her episode from last week and you can send me your bit of writing advice right now over at writersroutine.com. Right, let's get back to the big chat of the episode with Callie Taylor then. In this part, we talk about plotting and how much she knows and what happens when what she thought she knows turns out to be wrong. Also, we find out more about that quite curious Most Unreliable Narrator Award that she picked up and why she thinks she won it. After we start with her new novel, Sleep, and we find out about the spark of that very first idea. I had put forward two ideas to my agent and my editor um, that they didn't like. That they, they thought, mm, no, not sure. So then I just, I actually said, okay, how about a book set in a sleep clinic? 
Now, this book is not actually set in a sleep clinic, but that was the spark of the idea. How interesting would it be if there were a bunch of people in a sleep clinic with different sleep issues? Um, and and I thought, right, great. What, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to have them there in the present day and in the past they'll have been at this hotel on a remote island and something you know scary will have happened that has caused their sleep issues and, and whatever and that's how it sort of initially sort of came to me and my agent and, and my editor were like yeah brilliant we love it but then as I actually sat down to write the book and I sat down to write the, the past history that happened in the hotel on the Isle of Rum it was so rich there was so much story in it that I just thought, I don't think I can match this in a present day thread. This, this is the story. What, you know, what happens on rum is the story. And I kind of realized as I was writing it that a big part of it was to do with guilt and secrets. And, you know, the main character can't sleep because she was in a, a car accident and she was driving and she feels like she feels responsible for the deaths of her colleagues who were also in the car. Then there's this mysterious person who leaves her notes telling her to sleep, you know, to die, to sleep and all this sort of thing. And then and then she sort of leaves London where that bit is set and she goes to rum and then these guests turn up for a walking tour and the messages start again. And she realises that whoever was plaguing her. And I just wanted I wanted to write something a bit different. It still wanted I still wanted it to be a psychological thriller. So there's still that feeling of, you know, is the main character sort of imagining this? Is this really happening? But also have that slight sort of Agatha Christie-esque, then there were none, bunch of people in an isolated location. One of them is a killer. And and I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed writing that. And I think every book that I write, I try and push myself into kind of diff slightly different directions because it entertains me and I enjoy doing it. So aside from going on Facebook and, and typing in your, your characters' <laughs> yeah. names, what do you do next? How are you plotting? How are you planning? I am a big fan of a book called Stealing Hollywood by Alexandra Sokolov. Um, she is, she's an author and she has also worked in, in Hollywood as a screenwriter. And basically it is it teaches you how to use the four-act structure, um, you know, which all films could be split into really or most films to plot a novel so you have four acts which is eight sequences so you split each act into into two and at the end of each sequence there is some kind of climax and the way that this works is it keeps the novel snappy because you know at, at least eight points through the book something really significant happens something kind of gasp worthy or you know, a, a major twist that makes life hard for, you, for your main character. And obviously right in the middle, you've got your kind of midpoint twist or your game changer or whatever. So I, I use this and I will get a whiteboard and I'll, you know, draw a big rectangle on it, split it into eight. And then I'll think, right, okay, so what does my main character want? So in the case of sleep, Anna wants to discover who, um, who is sending her these strange notes. And then I'll also think to myself, what does my main character need, which is different? So she needs to forgive herself for for the car accident. And you kind of, you so you chart the want, so trying to discover who is behind the sleep messages, but you also chart the need, and that is your character's emotional journey so that they change over the course of the novel. Um, and I just, yeah, I use, I use a, a whiteboard, massive, huge one in my office, 
and I write these things down and I don't always know what happens in between these different eight points but that's the fun you know when you sit down and also the frustrating thing you sit down and you go oh right so that's happened now how am I going to get to that you know that next bit um and and that's the way I work now I I've worked in different ways I've tried pantsing a novel completely that was the lie that had to be written a lot before it was any good I've tried outlining I wrote a 13,000 word outline before I wrote the escape and that felt like I'd already written the book you know so many words and I think I've reached a point now where I'm somewhere in between where I've still got that freedom to explore and I don't know what's going to happen but I have got roadmaps so I'm not sort of floundering around looking for a plot. There is a plot there, I just need to fill in the gaps. At the moment, I'm writing my next young adult thriller. And I thought I knew what all the points were. I thought I knew who the antagonist was and what was going to happen. Um, as I got closer and closer, I realised it was wrong. And I thought, now I have got to know the characters. Um, that that doesn't work anymore. That 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 character wouldn't do that or it just doesn't fit so then I had to stop and I was like okay I, I need a new ending I need I need a new bad guy how is this going to end so I was talking to some author friends on Facebook and I was and I said am I am I right is my gut instinct right this doesn't work does it so I sort of gave them a sort of pricey of what it was and they went no I think you could come up with a stronger ending so I was like great and then they, they suggested things and suggested things and I was like no 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 so never mind don't worry I'll think about it and so I went to bed about one o'clock in the morning and I was just lying there. And then about sort of 45 minutes later, I sat upright and I was like, oh, I've got it, I've got it, I've got it. So, you know, I didn't want to wake my partner up because he was asleep. So I just grabbed a, you know, a notebook and a pen that I keep. And in the sort of half light of a bit of, you know, light coming from, from outside, I just wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote. And then the next morning I woke up and I was like, please, please still work, please. And I read it through and I was like, oh, it still works, thank God. So, you know, it can, it can happen like that. You don't, you sort of, you maybe go down the wrong road and then you reverse back and then you wait, you know, to use that analogy and then you don't know which way to turn. Then all of a sudden, you know which way to turn. And you, speaking about the book Stealing Hollywood. Yeah. With, with your eight points in, in your four acts. Yeah. Do you ever worry that that could become transparent to uh, one of your fans, like a, a real avid reader who's read all of your work? Do you ever worry that they're thinking, oh, I know what's going to, you know, there's going to be a moment here, there's going to be a moment there? No chance. I mean, <laughs> I mean, they might, they might expect a midpoint twist. And the last two books, so The Fear and Sleep, have had a twist right at the very end. And my other books didn't. So will I keep doing a twist right at the very end? I don't know. I know people like them, but that, you know, I don't want to be predictable. I want to write books that entertain me as, as much as, you know, as the reader because they take so long to write, you know. And I don't want to be predictable at all. And in fact, that's part of the reason why I've, you know, why sleep does have this slight Agatha Christie-esque thing because it is different, you know. And people said, "Oh, it's quite different from her, from her other books," but there's still that same sort of voice and suspense and grippingness and all of that kind of thing. And yeah, and I and I I don't think a reader could have predicted, even though I used exactly the same four X structure, um, eight sequences. It's a very different book and and very unpredictable because. You know, people have said, oh, you know, I didn't think it was this person or oh, I thought it was that person, but I didn't know why, you know, and I couldn't. So 
because you can use this structure with sci-fi, with horror, with rom-coms, with anything, yes, I think you can watch, you know, and, and, and Alexandra says it in the book, you, you can almost time some films. You get to this point in the film and then boom, there's your cute meat or boom, there's your, your reversal, or, you know, whatever it is. But I think, I think in books, because you, you have so much more to play with, you can have different timelines, you can have three characters' point of views. So it's not as predictable because the structure is different and it's woven together in a different way. So in Sleep, when yeah. you've got this Agatha Christie thing where you've got a load of characters in one place, they're trapped there. Yeah. And as a plotter, you seem to be a lot more structured than a lot of authors that I've chatted to. <laughs> is it the same... With your characters, how much do you need to know about each character before you start writing? Um, I need to know a fair amount, but it, it is in the writing that you really get to know them. So, like I said, for my main character, I'll know what she wants and what she needs. I'll know what her greatest fear is and I'll know what her flaw is that is going to make it harder for her to achieve what she wants. So I'll definitely know that about her. And then the antagonist will have the opposite so that's that's the best way to have conflict if your antagonist's want or goal is the direct opposite so you know your main character wants to escape with her life the antagonist wants her to stay there and die you know that's a very basic level and then I will work backwards for both of them for the main character and the antagonist so I'll think why are they the way that they are what happened in the past? Why why have they got this flaw or this fear or this want or you know whatever? And I'll and I'll go back, you know, maybe even into childhood and think, you know, what were their parents like? What was their upbringing like? Did they have siblings? And I'll look for the thing that made them the person that they are because there's always something. And it, you know, it's the same as regular people. Somebody will have something about them, a flaw that has come from something that that's happened in the past. So that's where I'll start with those two characters because those are the most important if, if I have an obvious antagonist. And then the other characters, less so, but I'm not the sort of person to, to do a questionnaire and ask favourite colours and, you know, all of that kind of stuff, which I think is absolutely redundant. And I think you get to know the characters as you write them. So often, like the, the book that I'm writing now, I'm going to have to go back to the beginning and tweak the first few chapters because... I've got to know the main character now and some of the things she's saying at the beginning are not her anymore because that was just me getting to know her. So it's a combination of preparing and then writing it and get to know them. Right at the start when you were talking about your working space, mm. you, you mentioned you've got your award there. Yeah. Most unreliable narrator. Yeah. I'm very excited that that's an award, you know. <laughs> um, it, it, it's very hard to talk about this because the point of an unreliable narrator is that is the twist. Yeah. Um, T tell me about the tell me about the, the the moment in the writing of that story mm. that you realised that your narrator was going to be unreliable, and then how did you tease that and make it so shocking? What's what won you the award of the best unreliable narrator? Yeah, well, I've got to say the Dead Good uh, Reader Awards have the best titles. They change it every year, so there's always different different awards. You know, best cosy town mystery or best you know shock ending or, or whatever it is so there's always different awards every year and that year uh, one of them was unreliable narrator so my very nice um readers it's it's reader nominated so my readers nominated me for it they also nominated the escape for most recommended read 
but it didn't win that one, but it won Unreliable Narrator. Um, I, I think the thing is, is, you know, the main character in The Escape has agoraphobia. And, and I think as a result, because the sort of backstory with her is that she had previously lost a pregnancy quite late on in the pregnancy. So when she had her daughter, she was uber protective over her because, you know, she, she had suffered a loss once. And, um, yeah, just trying to work out how much to say. So I think part of the unreliableness is, is she overreacting to the things that are happening to her that make her decide to go on the run with her daughter? Or is there a genuine threat there? And I think, I think that is what makes her unreliable. Um, was it a surprise to you that she was unreliable or was that the deal the whole way through? Well, she's not the only unreliable person in the book. Um, so, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's all a book of smoke and mirrors, really. And, I, you know, I can't say too much, but, but not everybody in the book is what they seem. And, yes, you know that at the beginning because, you know, your reveal at the end will be this is what has been going on. And so you just have to... Um, just work that in and often in the in the second draft or the edit the first one you just go through and then after you come back and you just tweak things and it's hard it's hard to explain is you know it depends on the book and the story and the characters but yeah you'll, you'll know that in your head at the beginning that these characters will be un, unreliable and I don't want the reader to know to believe. So that is it for this week's Writer's Routine. Thank you so much to Callie uh, for coming on the show. You can find out loads more about her new novel, Sleep, over on our website. It's writersroutine.com. Whilst you're there, uh, send us your writing tip, please. A trick, a tip that lets you get through the day. Uh, now, I'm having a break next week, so the next episode should be with you around the 19th of April. I've got loads of incredible guests on the way to get you through from then on, though. Uh, Jeffrey Deaver will be here. Australian sensation Trent Dalton will be on as well. And we've even got Val McDermid sharing her writer's routine. It's a lot of fun. You'll want to hear it. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast so it automatically downloads into your feed. You can do that through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your shows from. And make sure you keep across us on socials. On Twitter, we are at WritersPod. Instagram, Writer's Routine as well, so you know exactly what is happening and when. And I'll see you soon, next time, on Writer's Routine. Bye! Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out at the French Open for a chance to win a Grand Slam title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. See the action unfold as legends fight for glory and new rivalries emerge. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th, with match replays on demand so you never miss a moment. From the first serve to the final point, Roland Garros promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.